All right. Ooh. <clears throat> good morning. How are you? Good, good, good. Um, if you can please uh, pull up your connection cards. If you're new uh, with us at West Covina Christian Church, I want to invite you uh, to please fill out your information uh, as best as you can. Uh, we want to get to know you, uh, and we want to pray for you. So if you have any prayer requests, go ahead and write down your prayer requests as well. Or if, and if you're returning to uh, West Covina Christian Church or you're a regular attender, uh, go ahead and please fill this out as well. Uh, we want to know how you're doing, and uh, Pastor Corey and I, and I want to know how we can be praying for you uh, throughout the week. Um, I'd like to ask you to pull out your uh, announcement cards, um, the bulletin. Uh, the first announcement that we have is next Saturday we have our mid-year congregational meeting. And it's uh, very important, if you call West Covina Christian Church your home church, it's very important that you attend uh, this meeting. It's going to take place January 20th on Saturday, uh, and dinner is going to be at 5 p.m. Dinner is going to be provided, and our meeting is going to take place at 6 p.m. With your connection card, if you plan on attending, please uh, indicate so on your, on your uh, connection card that you will be attending the, the congregational meeting. Or if you prefer to sign up online, go ahead and go to westcovina.church and sign up there. Uh, secondly, uh, how many of you believe that children's ministry is, is important? Yes. <laughs> children's ministry, uh, they're the next generation of our church, right? They're, they're the ones that will be continuing the legacy, the culture of the gospel that we carry here today. And so we need teachers. We're in need of teachers right now. Currently, we have 35 teachers that are serving faithfully, but we need 50. Our goal is to have 50 leaders sign up by the end of January. So I want to strongly uh, encourage you to pray uh, about this opportunity and to see if God is putting it on your heart to serve in our children ministry. And the way that you can do that is by also indicating on the connection card that you're interested in serving. And after, you're com after you've completed filling it out, go ahead and leave it on your pews. With that, we'll be jumping into God's Word. Amen? Amen. All right, the title of today's sermon is Jonah, I Am. Jonah, I Am. And if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 to 16. Jonah 1, 4 to 16. If you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. It'll be projected on the screen behind me, and you can follow along there. Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 to 16. All right, here we go. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. 
perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Bow with me as I pray. Lord, uh, we thank you, God, that your word is eternal. And that in your word, Lord, there is life. And your desire for each one of us is to give us life. You know, Lord, what, what we harbor in our hearts. Lord, you know what goes on in our homes. And Lord, you want to bring life to all of it. You want to bring life to our heart, and you want to bring life to our homes. And so, God, may we come with you with open hearts, trusting, God, that what you want for us is good because of your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Around this time last year, uh, my wife and I, we received an unexpected surprise. And on this particular uh, morning, I woke up, I got out of bed, made my coffee. I'm a, I'm a coffee addict. I, I drink about five cups a day. I woke up, got out of bed, made my coffee, had breakfast, and I went about my morning routine as I would on any other day. And after breakfast, I opened the blinds to the front window of our home, and I gazed outside, as I usually do. But this time, when I looked outside, I noticed that there was an RV that was parked right in front of my driveway. Now, I don't own an RV, okay? <laughs> but I didn't, I, I didn't think much of it because truth be told, out of the ordinary things were common in the neighborhood that I lived in previously. So I went on with my business and a couple hours later, I, I looked out the window again 
and I noticed that the RV was still there. So I went out my front door, went up to the RV, knocked on its door. A gentleman came out, and before I could say anything, he looks at me and he says, Sir, I'm so sorry. I'll move the RV as soon as I get, get a chance. So I didn't think much of it again, and I went back into my home, went along with my business. After a good five to six hours of his RV being parked in front of my driveway, a pickup truck finally came and towed this RV out of, the, out of, out of our neighborhood. At that point, I was relieved because now I was able to go on with uh, my daily schedule. I was able to pull out my car and run my errands. So I went into my garage, into my car, pulled out the car, and as I was pulling out my car, I could smell this very unfamiliar smell coming through my car vent. And this smell, it, the stench of it was so bad that I peeled back into my garage, got out of my car, ran into my house, looked out the front window, and I noticed that the RV had dumped their waste dump, their waste tank, in front of my house. That was the unexpected surprise that I received. <laughs> that surprise I didn't like so much. I called 911 because the stench of the waste was so bad, I, I literally thought that I was going to get sick. And I thought that my kids were going to get sick. And so I called 911. They sent the Department of Sanitation. They came and they sprayed the area with chemicals. But the smell still lingered on. It, it, was, it was disgusting. The, the, the bacteria and just the thought of the odor, it, it made me sick. Now, as the smell lingered, I could sense in my own heart some bitterness beginning to fester. And I started asking myself these self-righteous questions. I can only see in hindsight that they were self-righteous. These questions such as, what's the point of living in this neighborhood? Is our ministry here worth putting my family at risk? What changes can really happen here with my presence here? I share this story with you this morning because in the scene of our text, we find Jonah pondering similar questions. Last week, Pastor Corey, he kicked us off on our sermon series through the book of Jonah, and we learned that this people group, the Assyrians, they were merciless and ruthless. They were known to be creative, not because of their artistic or musical skills, but because they were so innovative in the way that they tortured people. They were heathenistic to the core and they stood against everything that the law of God taught. They were known terrorists that pillaged and ransacked and caused so much chaos to neighboring nations, including the Israelites. So Jonah, being an Israelite, understandably didn't think the Ninevites, which was a city of Assyria, deserved God's mercy and forgiveness, right? Aside from Elisha, Jonah was the only prophet to be called to go into a foreign nation and to preach a message of repentance and a message of judgment upon that nation. 
You see, prophetic words, they were typically only given to God's people, the Israelites. And what we read time and time again in the Old Testament is that with an announcement of judgment, the message is intended to move the hearer to a place of repentance and to cry out to God for mercy and for his forgiveness. And what do we find? In response, God, he would forgive them. He would shower them with his mercy. So the possibility for Jonah of forgiveness to this heathenistic nation who caused so much chaos and disaster to the Israelites, it was unthinkable to him. So what does Jonah do? He runs in the complete opposite direction. He boards a ship and he takes off to this city called Tarshish, right? He doesn't want God to show it mercy to the Israelites or to the Assyrians, to his enemies. And if by chance, if by chance, they do repent and they are forgiven and their hearts are transformed at the heart level, he knows it'll do no good for the Israelites, right? Because then the Assyrians will continue to prosper under God's mercy. They will continue to prosper under God's mercy. And the Israelites will continue to be endangered and oppressed by this superpower. So Jonah, he, he doesn't want them to receive mercy and forgiveness. What he wants for them is to receive Sodom and Gomorrah, for them to be hurt and for them to be punished for what they've done, for their sins and their wickedness. So what do we find Jonah doing? We find him moping and complaining to God. What's the point? Yahweh, what's the point? What good will my words do if I go into this foreign nation? They don't deserve your forgiveness. And so he runs. He runs away. But we find God in his mercy. He sabotages Jonah's attempt to escape, and he hurls a great storm to catch his attention. This brings us to our first point today, in that God's radical mercy, it desires more for you than you could ever dream for yourself. God's radical mercy desires more for you than you could ever dream for yourself. You see, although the word of God or the call of God or an assignment of God might seem unpleasant, right, and at times even painful, our participation in God's work is critical for our spiritual development and our spiritual fulfillment. God, he calls us not simply to fulfill a mission, although that's important, but so that through his mission, we experience spiritual development and spiritual fulfillment. You see, what we find with Jonah is that he refuses, he refuses his calling for lesser pursuits because of his short-sightedness 
and because of his shallow understanding of who God is. You see, he thinks the way of having the best life is by restricting God's mercy and restricting God's forgiveness. But what God wants to do is to take Jonah on this mission and to demonstrate to him that true joy and true fulfillment, true spiritual development, it comes by blessing others. It comes by blessing others. That's what God's call is all about, isn't it? Missions, evangelism, community development, discipleship, growth groups, fellowship groups, so on and so forth. It's essentially about being an extension of God's blessing to others, isn't it? In Genesis 12, God, he makes a covenant. He makes a covenant with Abraham, and he says to him, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. That is God's promise to Abraham. And what we find is that the first half of the covenant between God and Abraham promises, that the, bless, promises the blessings that the Israelites will receive. It's all the blessings that the Israelites will receive. Then in the second half, this part is very important. In the second half of the covenant, God, he continues. He continues and he says to Abraham, and, on, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Not all Hebrews on earth will be blessed through you. Not all good people will be blessed through you. Not all people who deserve your mercy will be blessed through you. He says all peoples, all nations, all tongues will be blessed through you. You see, the first half of the Abrahamic covenant is essentially the blessings the Jewish nation receives from the Lord, from Yahweh, right? But the second half of the covenant is about the blessings the world receives through Israel, Jonah was unwilling to embody the whole covenant in his prophetic ministry. He wanted to be the shot caller and determine who received God's blessings. You see, Jonah was so caught up in his own little world of how Israel can be blessed, of how they can be protected, of how they can once again rise up as a sovereign nation and be a superpower, losing sight of God's mission to the world. All the while, all the while forfeiting the second half of the covenant in that, on, in that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You see, by foregoing this mission, Jonah, he was foregoing the covenant between God and the Israelites. He was stepping out of the boundaries of God's covenant. He was stepping away from what would truly give him a sense of fulfillment 
what would truly give him a sense of joy and a greater heart for all people, for God's people. God, Jesus asks us to do many things that are unpleasant. Isn't that true? Right? That's inconvenient and at times even very painful. And if you've been a Christian long enough, you know that this is true. Right? The, the Christian journey is easy. Right? He calls you to love those that you despise. He calls you to forgive those that have hurt you over and over again. He calls you to go to places that you don't want to go. He calls you to love your spouse as Christ loves your church. He calls you to submit to your spouse, right, as Christ submits to his heavenly Father. But here's the thing. God, he does so not because he wants to rebuke us, or because he wants to chastise you. Or because he wants to make your life miserable. But he calls you because he wants more for you than you could ever dream for yourselves. And Jonah didn't trust that. Jonah didn't trust that about his God. He wanted to control the distribution of God's mercy and forgiveness. He wanted to control who deserved the second half of the Abrahamic covenant. You see, our lack of surrender or letting go of things that God wants us to let go of is ultimately because we don't trust that God wants what's best for us. That's at the core of the issue. We don't trust that what God has at the other end is better for us. We think we can provide for ourselves better than what God can provide for ourselves. Right? So we're unwilling to end relationships even though we know in our heart that it's toxic and it's dishonoring to God. Because we don't trust that God has something better for us. We're not willing to let go of our unforgiveness because we don't trust in God's heart of justice. We're not willing to let go of self-medicating ourselves with pills, with alcohol, with drugs, with pornography, because we don't trust that the sober life God offers is fulfilling enough. You see, there are so many things, just like Jonah, that we too must examine in our own lives and bring to the Lord and surrender to him. Not because it's only wrong, although it is, but because God wants something for you that's greater than your mind could ever imagine for yourselves. As the storm rages and as chaos ensues, the sailors on this boat, they're frantically crying out to their God, Save us. Help us. They're throwing overboard cargo, hoping that it'll lighten the ship and save the ship. But in verse 5, we read, Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. 
Whoa. Right? What? Whoa. Sleeping? Wake up. What, what's he doing sleeping in a situation like this? Right? You know, I, I've never been in a, in a sea storm, uh, but I'm guessing it's somewhat like being on a, a turbulent plane. Have you guys been on a turbulent plane? Yeah, it's, it's, it's scary. It's one of the scariest things, right? With the plane shaking and the plane rumbling, with the people next to you gasping at every free fall, right? With the stewardess, right? Even the steward. You know what makes me most scared is the stewardess. Because they're trying to smile, sit there, look all straight-faced, but you can see right through that, and they're scared, right? And you're holding hands with your neighbor, ah, right? And you're, you're praying to Jesus and speaking all kinds of languages you never knew you could speak. <laughs> right? There ain't no person sleeping on that plane. And I can only imagine that's what it was like on this ship, if not worse, right? Because they didn't have dramamine, What happened that Jonah is this emotionally detached and indifferent about the crazy storm that's happening outside? What happened? Dr. Edward Santana Grace, who specializes in the study of anxiety, he says, anxiety is a state of being a person experiences as they find greater hopelessness in life situations and circumstances, which ultimately leads to a state of depression. Let me read that again. Anxiety is a state of being a person experiences as they find greater hopelessness in life situations and circumstances, which ultimately leads to a state of depression. If you know uh, an anxious person you'll notice that they're often controlling, right? They're a little bit controlling. They want to control things because as they lose any sense of hope in any given life situation, the quickest way for them to regain stability is by holding on to whatever is available to them and controlling that, right? And then that provides fake stability. But we all know we all know that controlling your child, right, it doesn't help behave your child, right? We know controlling your spouse doesn't heal a marriage, right? We know controlling your employees doesn't change the culture of the workplace. In fact, the more we try to control, it makes matters worse and our lives more chaotic. That is what we find with Jonah in this scene. He's in this state of extreme, unregulated anxiety. And the one thing he thinks he has control of is God's mercy and forgiveness. And so he clings on to that because Jonah, he, he wants God to act mercifully to those he deems merciful. He wants God to act inconsistent and biased with his love. And Jonah, he, what he's trying to do essentially is control God. And because he obviously can't control God, chaos, it ensues all around him. Not only outside with the storm, but in his heart. There's chaos in his heart. And it's too much for Jonah to handle. 
It's too much for him to handle. And this loss of control and hopelessness festering in his heart, it brings him to this state of depression, sleeping apathetically in the inner part of the ship while the storm rages on. I wonder, I wonder what it is for you that you're unwilling to let go, that's stirring the storm in your heart, that's bringing chaos into your life. You know, as I was praying for you this week, and as I was praying over this message, the theme of resentment kept coming up. Resentment. And so I have to trust that this is, the, this is what the Lord wants me to speak. Perhaps there are some of you in here this morning who are not able to let go of your resentment. You feel so right and you feel so justified in holding on to your resentment and hating this person, this object of your resentment. And you've clung on to this for so long that you've become addicted to it. And it's become an important piece to see, to how, to how you see the world and interpret other people's worlds, words. For some of you, your object of resentment, it could be your spouse. It could be your children. For others, that might be your parents. Right? For others, that might be a political party. 2016, that was pretty crazy, right? There could be resentment there. And for others, that might be a person of different skin color, of religion, of ethnic background. Well, let me ask us, let me ask the church, what good has that resentment done for you? It isolates, it depresses, it keeps us in a constant state of bitterness, and we hold tightly to it and often find ourselves in the innermost part of our own little world where no one can bother us, where no one can prick at us, where we're guarded, and where we're fast asleep like Jonah. God asks you this morning. He asks us to give that up to him. To surrender that resentment to him. Because by giving it to him, he will give you more than you could have ever imagined and have ever dreamed of. You see, Jonah, he felt so justified in feeling the way he did about the Assyrians. And understandably, right, because they were wicked. They oppressed his people. And you also might feel so justified in feeling the way you do toward the object of your resentment. And understandably, because they wronged you, because they hurt you. But Jesus, he, he invites us this morning and he says to us, Sleeper, arise, call out to me. And he says that because it's only Christ that we can surrender that to. 
It's only Christ who wants to take that resentment from you. It's only Christ who can replace it with something that you never dreamed of. A blessing rather than a curse. This brings us to our our second point. God's radical mercy accepts you just as you are. God's radical mercy accepts you just as you are. Take a moment with me to, to look at the irony, the irony of Jonah's situation. It's almost funny. It's almost comedic, all right? Jonah, he tries to run away from the Ninevites, but he's surrounded by the fullness of God, right? He's, he's, he's surrounded by the, the fullness of God. Jonah tries to hold back the word of God from wicked sinners, but he ends up proclaiming the God of heaven to pagan sailors, right? He tries running away from the Assyrians, but he ends up giving his life for pagan sailors. Jonah, he tries restricting God's mercy and forgiveness, but we find that the sailors give sacrifice and vows, and they end up worshiping the God of heaven, The irony of of Jonah's plight points to God's radical mercy. That's at work at both, at restoring both Jonah and the recipient of his message. See, in the eye of the storm, in the eye of the storm, we see God's hand reaching out to Jonah. In the captain's urgency, waking him up, we hear God calling out to Jonah to pray. In the lots casted by the sailors, we hear God whispering to Jonah, confess, come back to me. Right, but not only with Jonah do we see God's whispers and hands. We also see the finger of God in the raging storm pressing the heart of the sailors to search for the one true God. In Jonah's confession, we see the Holy Spirit grasping the heart of the pagans. In the calming of the sea, we see God's radical mercy at work putting to ease the heart of these sailors. You see, God's mercy, it will not be denied. God's mercy will not be denied not even for the prophet, the man of God who is called, who is trying to stop it. Even when we resist him, and when we make terrible mistakes, God's calling will prevail. His mission will be fulfilled. You see, because God is able to redeem even the most wicked things and people and institutions and government structures nations for his praise and glory. But God, he would rather have you and I obey and be a part of it, be a part of his call, to be a part of his mission. So the question for us this morning is will you resist God or will you accept the calling of God upon your life and the calling upon this church? 
individually, only, only you know what your call is, and that's something that you need to wrestle with the Lord about. However, as a church, that call is something that we partake in together through a covenant bound by Jesus' blood. The call of the church isn't something that some do here, some do there, some do here, and some do there. The call, it's a unified effort that moves us towards the purposes of God for the redemption of West Covina and the greater San Gabriel Valley. But if I'm, if I'm to speak honestly, give me a moment to speak very honestly. As I reflect on the spiritual atmosphere of our country, it seems that the church has become one endless routine of events, of meetings, of programs, of even setting political agendas and other activities by which we can hide behind. And it's easy to mistake that as, fulf as fulfilling our calling. And the image, the image that we're expected to project behind these activities is that we're happy and that we're all smiles. But the truth is that there are some of us that are dying inside. There are some of us that are desperate inside. There are some of us who don't have jobs and are frantically trying to figure out how we're going to feed our family, how we're going to pay for next month's rent. Some of us have strained marriages and wonder if reconciliation is possible. Some of us wrestle with illnesses and with death, with our families and friends. And some of us struggle with habitual sins we promise over and over to shake off, but we can't. And the truth is that deep inside, there are many of us that are lonely and depressed. The critical thing for us to understand is that before we can step into the call of God, before we can step into the call of God, we need to know that first and foremost, God doesn't want something from you. God wants you. Period. All of you, just as you are, the imperfect and the flawed you, you see, Jonah, he wasn't willing to accept that. Therefore, he couldn't extend that. A couple evenings um, after my wife and I received our very special unexpected surprise, I was out on my uh, front porch, and I was pondering these questions of, what's the point? What's the point of doing ministry here? Is it, is it worth putting my family at risk? And as I sat, sat out there, I was doing the very best I could to breathe through my mouth because the smell was still there. And while I sat there reflecting and thinking through these questions, there was a sudden thought that struck me and it shook me to my core. In that this is the gospel. 
You see, for the past two days, I had been complaining about my con the condition of my neighborhood and how it had inconvenienced my nose. And there it struck me, in that moment as I was sitting out there, that Jesus not only smelled the stench of humanity's sin, right, but he covered himself in it. With that waste tank, he entered into it. And in that moment, I heard the Lord say, what do you mean, Steve, you sleeper? Arise and call out to me. Although not in those exact words. <laughs> and as I prayed for God's mercy and forgiveness to shower upon the neighborhood and even the folks who left me that surprise, I knew in my heart that I wasn't saying the right prayer. It didn't sit right with me. And as I sat there, and as I was sitting with the Lord, I heard the Lord saying to me, Stephen, you're the stench. Just because you don't smoke crack, just because you don't sell your body, just because you don't commit these explicit sins, it doesn't make you better. You're all one and the same. And I still love you. My mercy's for you. And in that moment, I called out to God for the forgiveness of my pride and for my arrogance. And I'll tell you, the smell of the RV's waste, it still smelled bad, but not as bad. <laughs> because it was a, rem a reminder of the stench that Christ came into when he came into my heart. You see, we're all one and the same. We're all Jonah. We're all the Assyrians. And we're all the stench that Jesus died for. Before a calling, there's identity. And our identity lies in that God knows all that you've done wrong, and yet he's madly in love with you. Crazy, right? He knows the darkness in your waste tank. He knows the skeletons and secret regrets, your loneliness and your hurts, your arrogance and pride, your anxiety and your depression. Yet he accepts you just as you are, which was why he pursued Jonah. Crazy, right? Which was why he pursued Jonah, because he saw all of that in Jonah, yet he wanted Jonah to see that he loved him so much. God accepts us, every part of us, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Not just the smiles, but everything. God knows that we have the same capacity as that of the Ninevites to commit the wicked acts. He knows that we have the same capacity as Jonah to run away in disobedience, yet he loves us, and that is the God that we worship Church, I invite you to come before God this morning as your naked selves and trust that he desires for you more than you could ever dream for yourselves. But what re what's required on your part is surrender, letting go, 
and trusting that he'll give you a blessing far greater than you could have ever imagined. And trust that his radical mercy accepts you just as you are. Just as you are. You see, when, when that is solidified, your calling, your call will naturally set into motion. If that is what we can ground our calling upon, upon this identity, there is no limit to the extent to how he'll use our church in the advancement of his kingdom here in West Covina. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you that you shower us with mercy and with forgiveness, for we are desperate, Lord. We realize the depth of our sin. We realize that we are Jonah. We realize that we are the Assyrians, and we are in desperate need of your mercy and your forgiveness. And so, Lord, we thank you that you sent your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to pursue us and to die upon the cross so that we may know you and be reconciled with you. We love you, Lord. We give thanks to you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.